Amen. As the kids make their way out, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And if you're new with us and you're not sure where to find Luke, uh, you're going to find it in the second half of your Bible in the New Testament. uh, Right after Matthew, Mark, you're going to find Luke. So Luke chapter 24, please turn there with me. And, uh, and as I look out, I do see a lot of faces that are unfamiliar, and so we want to welcome you. We're really thankful you could be with us today. Uh, Easter Sunday is a, is a particularly special time in the faith. Obviously, in a sense, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We're always celebrating the resurrection and the implications of that. But here is a day that we've set aside just to, to come to the empty tomb and to meditate and to focus on what happened here. And to help our our meditation, to help our worship, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we've been working our way through, in particular, the final days of Jesus' life. And so today, before we turn to this note of triumph, and and that is the note today, triumph and joy, but before we turn there, I do want to remind you of where we've been, because we have, over the last two months, uh, we, we witnessed as Jesus was praying in the garden with his disciples, and And in his moment of need, he said, please pray for me. And all of his disciples fell asleep. We watched as Judas, a man who was Jesus, one of his closest friends, a man who Jesus had just washed Judas' feet that very night. We watched as Judas betrayed Jesus and handed him over to the authorities who beat him and struck him and mistreated him. We watched as Jesus was subjected to these mock trials by the people that he had made, the very people that he had made, put him on trial and put forward false accusations and put a crown of thorns upon his head and they beat him until he was unrecognizable. We saw the crucifixion on Good Friday as people mocked him and scorned him and spat at him while he bore our sins on the cross. While he was saving us, we were reviling him. So we've seen all of that and the disciples fearful and fleeing and not not there for Jesus in his moment of need. Today, as we pick up our scene, let's just remember these disciples, what have they been doing? So Jesus, we know where he was, but where were the disciples? I don't know if you've ever thought of that. These men are, they're, they're hiding, they're, they're wondering if all of this was for naught. They're, they're processing what's next. Some of them returning back to their boats, returning back to their jobs. We pick up this morning really on a note of hopelessness. And before we turn to the triumph, I do want you to see that because as I look out, I, I would suspect that perhaps there are just a few who are coming in today and that's the note that you're starting on. And, you know, you, you come in and perhaps you're just feeling disillusioned with the world. It's not what you thought it was going to be. Or you're disillusioned with yourself. You know, you look at who you've become and this wasn't, this wasn't the plan. You're disillusioned with your family, you're disillusioned with your job, you're disillus- maybe you're disillusioned with God, and you're wondering if he's just all but forgotten you. There are probably a few people like that, feeling just like the disciples were on, feeling on Saturday, just wondering. And here you are, and you're surrounded by all these people who are shouting and clapping and singing and smiling, and you're feeling like you just can't wait to get out of here because you're in the wrong place. And uh, I want to say I, I recognize that that can be, uh, that can be something. You know, yesterday, personally, I led a funeral for someone in our extended family who, who died of a drug overdose. That was my Saturday. And I get it. It feels weird to come in and to turn on this dial of celebration when there's brokenness all around us. And there is brokenness all around us, isn't there? So what do we do with that? Well, we're not to be naive to it. 
The disciples weren't naive to it. They saw the brokenness out there. They saw the brokenness in here. They did. They hid. They denied Jesus. They wept over all of this. But then they saw something that changed everything. I have seen something that changes everything. These brothers who are going to be baptized today have seen something that changes everything. And and our prayer for you today is that you would see something. Something that changes everything. So to that end, we're looking to the Word of God. And we're going to read a lot of Bible today, so we're going to jump right in. We're going to break our our passage into five sections, five episodes, if you will. And we find episode 1 from verse 1 to verse 12. So here we're in Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living, and active Word to us today. In episode 1, the tomb is opened. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostle. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this opening episode, we have the the women, and they're coming to Jesus to anoint his, his dead body. And so to put it in modern terms, you can imagine these women who love Jesus bringing their flowers, and they're going to go to the grave where he's been laid. That's the idea. They're coming. It's an, it's an expression of love. It's an expression of loss. And what I want you to see is that as they're making their way to the tomb, they expect him to be there. Like they're expecting that Jesus' body will still be in that tomb. But instead, they find two angels. Later in the text, we're told these are, in fact, angels in dazzling apparel. And they ask these women, why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels then proceed to remind these women all the things that Jesus had told them. And in fact, the Bible tells us that the angels, they, they long to look into these things. So there's this idea where the angels are kind of watching and they're seeing the gospel unfold and seeing this story. I'm sure these angels just love this opportunity to lean in with the ladies and say, don't you remember? We were there. Don't you remember what he said? He said he would suffer. He told you this would happen. He said he would die. And he told you that on the third day, he would rise again. So... Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? That's what they said. So they they hear this and suddenly they do remember. Yes, he said all of that. This is all making sense. And so they run back. These women run back to the disciples, to the place where they're all gathered. And they tell them what's happened. And the tomb is empty and Jesus isn't there. And angels told us he's risen. And Jesus told us he was going to rise. And they're on fire. But we read, these words seem to them, the disciples, an idle tale. And they did not believe them. That's interesting. Right? And, and I would suspect that there are probably a few people here this morning who have that in common with the disciples. 
you got these people, these, these ladies, and, and in this room some men, with fire in their eyes telling you about what happened. Telling you, hey, he's, he's not dead. He's risen. It's, it's amazing. But they're not impressed by this story. In fact, to them it seems like an idle tale, a fairy tale. The kind of thing that people tell themselves to try and make sense of this messy world. The kind of thing that emotionally weak people have to tell themselves to deal with the cold reality of death. It's, it's a fairy tale. It'd be nice if Jesus conquered death. It'd be nice if there was hope that saw beyond the grave. Yeah, sure, that would be great. Except it's not true. And so, I'd rather not be bothered. Thank you very much. That's the scene we see here. And it's probably a scene that's happening right now in this moment. Utterly skeptical. Not, not all that interested. Utterly unmoved. Except... In verse 12, we see that Peter rose and ran to the tomb. And isn't that a funny thing that happens? Even in, even in this crowd of skepticism, there's one who's, whose heart is perked and who jumps. Remember last time we saw Peter, he had just denied Jesus three times. Do you remember that? If, you, if you've been tracking with us, you know, we, we haven't seen Peter for a while, but the last time that we saw him, he was there, Jesus was being tried, and Jesus is there, he's beaten, and, and Peter is... He's denying Jesus. He's distancing himself from Jesus, renouncing Jesus. Last time we saw Peter, he was a failure. Last time we saw him, actually he made eye contact with Jesus and he ran away weeping. What was Peter doing for three days? As I was preparing, I just got to thinking about what must that have been like for him? Peter runs away from that scene and he's weeping and they come back and they tell him about the crucifixion and what happened to Jesus. And he's reliving that scene by the fire, I would imagine. Thinking about how he failed. How he betrayed Jesus, the one who was always there for him. Thinking about how he had no courage. You know, you wonder if every time he closed his eyes and tried to rest, if he didn't see Jesus staring back at him in that moment. Right, that's Peter. If only he could go back in time. If only he could get it right, undo what he's done. And yet, as it is with life, the opportunity was gone. He missed it. Jesus was dead. Peter's story was written. And this is now who he is. He's got to live with it. But then Peter sees these women and they've got this fire in their eyes. And he, he allows himself to believe for a moment that maybe, just maybe, the story's not done. Maybe, just maybe, there is hope beyond this scene. And so what does he do? You look at the text. He rose. From where he sitted, next to all the skeptics and the scoffers, Peter rises and he runs out of that place. He gets away from all of the, the skepticism and he goes to the place where he just might find that, that hope, that life. And he looks and he sees that, that Jesus is not there. Then he sees the cloth and the empty tomb and he marvels at what's unfolding before his eyes. Now, of course, there was more for Peter to see, more that he needed to see. But in that moment, he saw enough to rekindle a fire that had all but been snuffed out in him. And, and perhaps there's some folks here today who need something like that. Maybe you're here today, and like Peter, you're sitting, you're sitting around a bunch of skeptics, but there's something, you see this, and you say, I've got I've to I've gotta see. Is there a chance? Is there a hope? I'm going to allow myself to believe that there just might be hope at the end of this story. Follow his example. Rise. Run. Look. Marvel, because the story isn't over. God's not done with you yet. In fact, and here's the amazing news, and ask the people around you, they'll tell you it's true. You feel like the story's over, but when you come to Christ, you find out the story just begins. It's not over. The dark chapters don't define you, and they don't need to have the final word. 
But we need to move on to our second episode in the text. The tomb was open, but in our next episode, the scriptures are open. Look with me at verses 13 to 27. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? He said to them, What things? They said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since those things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here in this second episode, Jesus comes and he meets these two followers, Cleopas, and we don't know the second. Actually, a lot of the commentators are guessing that the second was actually Luke, the author. And I think that's That might just be true, because of all the details he records of this story, it sounds like he was the guy who was there. Regardless, we don't know. Cleopas and another, and they're walking, and Jesus comes to them, and they don't recognize him. For whatever reason, we see this in Jesus' resurrected body. He has the ability to keep himself from being recognized. How does he do that? I have no idea, but he does it. And so he comes to them as a stranger, and they walk on the road, and he says, what is it that you're talking about? And so they reply, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Which I'm pretty sure Luke means for us to see, he means for us to see that that's kind of a funny encounter, right? There's some irony here. They're looking at Jesus like, have you been living under a rock for three days, Jesus? Are you the, are you the only one who doesn't know the things that have happened here? And in reality, of course, Jesus knows everything that happened. It's these guys that don't know what has happened. They don't understand, but as Jesus often does with us, as we look back at him incredulously with our arrogance and we bring up all of our concerns and objections and unbelief, Jesus patiently listens to these men as they recount all of the things that have happened and how discouraged they are. And he, he walks with them and he listens to their questions and their doubts. And then they tell him what happened on Good Friday and they conclude, but we had hoped We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. G. Campbell Morgan says here, Thus we see their attitude, and in it a wonderful revelation of what the cross had done for the disciples of Jesus. It had not destroyed their love for him, nor their belief in him and his intention, but it had slain their hope. In the cross they saw failure. We hoped, past tense, 
See, it's an awful, frightening thing when hope becomes past tense. And it happens all the time, doesn't it? Everybody in this room, you have, you have hopes that used to be present, future. And now they're, they're past tense. I hoped that my marriage would, would come together. I hoped that this job would make me feel like something. Like I'm someone. I, I hoped that my health would have lasted longer so that I could enjoy this retirement. I had hoped that we would have had more time together. I, I hoped that my kids wouldn't fall into the same pit that I fell in. I hoped, past tense, it's a horrible thing. And here these disciples, they're, they're pointing at Jesus and they're adding him to the list of past tense hopes. We had hoped that Jesus was the one. But he's not. Jesus' response to them is, is sharper than we might expect. You know, sometimes we need a hug. It almost seems like these guys need a hug. But sometimes, actually, we need a splash of cold water in the face. And Jesus is wise enough to know what we need. These guys needed the latter. And so he says to them, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He looks at these men and he says, you know the answer to this problem that's perplexing you. I told you already. You know. You know the cross was not the end, but the beginning. You know this. Sometimes God calls us to be that voice in people's lives. You know, there, there is a time. There's a time to sit quietly and a time to listen. But then there's a time when you eventually need to speak up and point to the answer. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And for the rest of the walk, he opens the scriptures and he conducts the world's greatest Bible study. And we don't get to see the content of that study, but I think actually we see lots of it in the book of Acts. Every time the apostles open up their mouths and and preach, I think we're seeing little glimpses of what Jesus was teaching to these men on the road. And the text says, Jesus says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So we walk through the Bible for them, which was the Old Testament. The New Testament hasn't been written. So he's walking through the Old Testament and he's helping them to see how all of this pointed forward to and culminated in him. That's what Jesus does to minister to broken people. He opens the word for them. And so that's why here as a people, we come together and we open the word of God because we know that the word of God speaks. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And as it goes forth, it never returns void. So you're in a good place today as we open the scriptures together. And yet, an open Bible is where we begin, but an open Bible is not enough. We need open eyes. That's, the, that's what we see in our next episode, episode three. Look with me at verses 28 to 32 where eyes are opened. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, let's stop there. The Bible study was amazing. It was amazing. 
But if they, had, if they had stopped there, if they had allowed Jesus to just keep walking on the road and pulled into their inn, they would have came away from that encounter with precise theology, but nothing more. And can I say, there are a lot of Christians, there are a lot of people sitting in churches across the world today who, who have contented themselves with precise theology, but nothing more. But these men, they, they, they see something and they say, no, you, stay with us. But Jesus was going to move forward. Here's a question for you. Where was he going? Have you ever thought of that? Like, where did, where did Jesus need to go? They're on their way to Emmaus. Does Jesus have an errand to run in Emmaus? No, he doesn't. Why is he on this road? He's on this road for one purpose, and that's to encounter these men. He's got nowhere to go. I agree with G. Campbell Morgan, who says, there's a tender and beautiful playfulness in the way he dealt with these men. He pretends he's, he's moving forward, because he's waiting to be invited in. He's waiting for these men to insist upon him. And so they do. They insist strongly. Stay. Stay with us. Please. Please. We want more of this. We need more of this. We want you here with us. And so he stayed. And he sat down with them to share their meal. And you can... Luke alludes to something here. He doesn't say it explicitly, but he alludes to it. See if you catch it. He says, so they sit down for the meal, and Jesus... Even though he's the one who's being hosted, Jesus picks up the bread. And after he blessed it, he broke it. And he served them. It, you see this illusion here? That the, the Lord's Supper, we're right back to the supper. And here in this moment, suddenly as he serves these men, their eyes are opened and they see. What did they see? Oh, everything. I, they, they saw it all. All of the, the Bible studies, the sermons, everything that Jesus had taught them, all that the disciples had been learning along the way, all of it suddenly explodes to life in their minds. This information that had been rolling around becomes life. They see that they're sinners who need a Savior. They see that God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have life. They see that Jesus accomplished for them what they could never accomplish for themselves and that he bore in his body the curse, the judgment of sin. He removed it from us. They see that he had to die so that we could live. They see that as he stepped out of that tomb, he proved that we have resurrection in life if we are in him. They see all of this coming together. These promises of old coming to fulfillment. Our God is a promise keeper. It's all, it just, it clicks and suddenly life makes sense, and everything makes sense, and and then he disappears. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? It's like I knew, I knew that there was something, I knew there was something, but then bam, it just, everything clicked. And perhaps there are some people here today who can relate. You come, and you some of you, you know, you've been coming to this church or other churches or you've been reading your Bible at home perhaps. You're coming to it. You're not sure about all this. Like if this is true, it's going to flip your entire life upside down. If this is true, it's actually going to be incredibly costly for you. Everything that you've grown up hearing, all the narratives that, that you've been swimming in for your whole life, you come to this and it doesn't fit with any of those. And yet... Does your heart not burn within you? There's something that rings true and you keep coming back. There's just, there's, I don't, my heart is just, it's burning within me. If that's you, and, and you know if that's you, follow the example of these men. Don't let Jesus pass you by. Don't 
walk away today content with precise theology. Lay hold of him. In faith, lay hold of him. Insist upon him. Say, Jesus, stay. Jesus, help me to see. Open my eyes, Jesus. Lean in and ask. He rewards insistence. He rewards insistence. Don't be careless and casual in your faith. Grab him. Say, Jesus, please stay. Then, having opened these men's eyes, through these men, he extends his grace to the rest of the disciples. Because that's what grace does. It just overflows out of us. We're going to see more of that today. Look with us to the next episode, verses 33 to 49. Here we find that minds are opened. So the tomb was opened, and the scriptures were opened, and the eyes were opened, and now the minds are open. They rose that same hour, verse 33. And they returned to Jerusalem. Okay, pause there. I didn't write this down, but isn't this awesome? They just, walk, they just came to Emmaus. They've gone on quite the journey, right? They get to the place. This is why they went on their journey. They're staying at the inn. And now all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And that very hour, boom, up. Like they're sprinting back the way they came. They're like, we've got to go tell everybody what we've seen. I think that's interesting. Jumping back in. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying... The Lord has risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Before, actually, I want you to look back at the Bible. I want you to look back at verse 31. Here's what he says in verse 31. Look closely. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now look at verse 45 again. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I want you to see something important. Both of those verbs are passive verbs. Meaning what? Meaning they didn't open their eyes and their minds. It's not as if they said, okay, I'm going to open up my eyes and my mind now. No, their eyes, their minds were opened. We don't do the opening. We receive the opening. And that's why, even within this room, all of us are opening the scriptures But not all of us are seeing the scriptures with open eyes and open minds. 
He opens and he shuts. He softens and he hardens. And that's why if you truly want to see Jesus today for all of who he is, then you need to humble yourself and you need to ask him for help. This isn't like math class where the smartest person in the room gets furthest ahead. That's not how the kingdom of God works. And I'm thankful for that. God saves brilliant men and women and he saves men and women who did terribly in school and can't read very well. Isn't it amazing that we don't study our way into the kingdom of heaven? We don't study our way into having a transformed heart. Now, we study. Study is good. Study is where we begin. But study is not enough. What we need are open eyes and open minds. And for that to happen, God must do it. And so as we study, he rewards those who study with humility, who come and say, God, please help. Maybe you need to just quietly in your heart right now say, God, please help. What we also see here in this episode is that God delights to do it. He delights to answer that humble prayer. He loves opening our eyes and opening our minds. And he does it for people who don't deserve it. So let's jump back to where we began this morning. These are those disciples who fell asleep when he asked them to pray. These are those disciples who fled rather than stayed. These are those disciples who Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. But when they saw the cross, they ran in the other direction. These are them. And Jesus comes into this room where they've been hiding. And he's got an opportunity now to say to these men what they need to hear. What's he going to say to these guys? The cowering in the room like little mice. What's he going to say? Boy, if if we could write the New Testament, if Hollywood was writing the New Testament, we'd put some words in his mouth, wouldn't we? As Jesus appears in their midst and he says, look at you cowards. Look at you failures. Where were you, huh? Real brave. You were real brave when I was sitting next to you. Where were you when they pulled out the swords? Where were you when you saw the cross? When you saw the cost of following me? Peter, I I saw that servant girl, Peter. That servant girl who left you cowering in fear. I saw the whole thing. I see who you are and I'm done with you. The king is going to find servants who are worthy of him. He could have said all that. Some of us would probably write those words into his mouth if we could. Instead... Isn't Jesus amazing? He, he comes into this room where his people are cowering in fear and he says to them, peace to you. Peace to you. That was, that was the common greeting of the time, but doesn't Jesus just infuse gospel meaning into it? Perhaps some of you need to hear that greeting yourself today. Perhaps for the first time you're seeing this Jesus and and you've spent a lifetime not thinking about him, ignoring him, and now you're seeing these glimpses and you're feeling all kinds of stuff because you've done a lot of stuff. You're feeling guilty and shameful and gross and you're wondering, "Ah, what do I even do? Well, hear him today. It's peace to you. Peace to your guilt and your shame. Peace to those anxieties and those fears. You have failed. You have sinned. You have fallen short. The Bible says we all have, myself included. But Jesus does not come to rub our noses in our sin, right? That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't come to say, yeah, look at this. Look at what you did. You're such a mess. You don't deserve me. That's not Jesus. He has come that we might have life. And so 
He took your sin, all that sin that's front and center in your mind right now, all that sin that makes you feel like you should be far from him. He took your sin and he removed it from you and he took it upon himself in the cross. And it was nailed to that cross. And it was settled and it was forgiven and it's done. And then he went to the grave and he died the death that we ought to die, that we deserve to die because the penalty for sin is death. But he paid our debt. And then he stepped out of that tomb three days later and he declared that anyone who is in me in faith is going to walk out of their tombs just like I walked out of mine because death no longer has the final word for those who are in Christ Jesus. He came to set us free, not to rub our nose in our guilt, but to take the guilt and to remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. And so he comes and he doesn't berate us. He doesn't berate these disciples. Even though we deserve it and they deserve it, he gives them peace. And then he answers their questions. He just he stoops down. Are you a, how does this work? Are you a ghost? Is this a spiritual? He says, touch my hands. Give me some fish. And they see, the, they see this resurrection hope. And it's, there's a plan. Even for these bodies, there's a plan. And he's, he unpacks it all for them. All of this because he is far more willing to forgive than men are to be forgiven. I ruined that. I'm going to say it again. He is far more willing to forgive than men are to be forgiven and far more ready to pardon than men are to be pardoned. Just going to pause there real quick. We live in an interesting culture here in Canada and it's shifting. I think the last 10 years has been a dramatic shift. We are very much a, a justice culture. And if you make a misstep, it is going to be posted on the internet. People are going to cancel you. They're going to shame you. That's how it works. And you deserve that. You get what you deserve. That's, that's the water we're swimming in. That's the way we think about our world, the way we think about ourselves. And we can project that onto God and think that's the way he thinks of us. That's not what he does here. He's so willing to forgive those who come to him in faith. And he removes it and it's done. Do you believe that today? Christians, there are some of you, and you're, you're Christians, right? You are in Christ. Do you believe that? Then stop wallowing. Stop wallowing. You're forgiven. You are forgiven. You're restored. So get up. You've got work to do. Glorious work to do. Get up. That's what he does with these men. He comes in, and he doesn't spend any time at all talking about, like, well, let's learn from your failures you losers he doesn't do any of that he, he just like touch my hands touch my feet now get up we've got a mission and he says to them you are witnesses of these things he says go go and tell the world i'm going to empower you you st- stay for a moment he says to the disciples you need this holy spirit which i promised you but if we're in christ we've got that now so then he says go tell the world these things you have witnessed the most monumental thing in the universe That the grave has been conquered. That forgiveness has been extended to the world. Tell them. He says that to his disciples. He says that to us today, Christians. Tell them. There is a world out here that is lost and dying. There are people living on your street right now who they they can't find a sliver of hope to hold on to. There are people, they're trying, they're They're putting all their eggs in in the basket of, you know, maybe this marriage will give me contentment or maybe this job will give me contentment. And they're one storm away from, from all the hope in their life being knocked down. And you've got this news. Tell them. Who will tell them? If 
friend, it must be you. We are witnesses of these things. We have this news. We have his spirit. So we go and we proclaim. And the message isn't, look at me. And the message isn't, you know, hey, here's how to be a better person. The message is, look at what God has done in Christ. See the empty tomb. And that brings us to the final episode of this life-transforming chapter. Look with me at verses 50 to 53, where in this final chapter, the heavens are opened. And if you like that outline, admittedly, I stole it from a pastor named Thabiti Anuabuile. I was reading a commentary, and I thought, that is helpful, so I've used that today. I'm not as smart as him. Verses 50 to 53. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Now, time won't allow me to say all that could be said about this final scene. If it were Ascension Sunday, we would. Um, But this is Resurrection Sunday. But I would point you to the first sermons we preached in the book of Acts because Luke and Acts go together. By the way, just think of that in your mind. As we've been making our way through Luke, it's almost like we kind of just step back and we we watch the preparation for the book of Acts. But I I direct you to those sermons so you can uh, consider just the magnitude of this ascension where Christ goes to heaven. Suffice it to say this today, the king is right now seated on his throne. He reigns. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him and he has promised to go before his people as we advance on his mission. There is right now a man in heaven, King Jesus, and he's prepared a place for us. He tells us that if we are in Christ, then we will go where he goes. So his body was laid in the tomb, but then it rose in glory and it ascended to heaven. And if we are in Christ, then the same future is in store for us. In just a moment, we're going to observe the sign of baptism. A sign that declares and illustrates exactly this. These brothers died with Christ. These brothers were buried with him. But these brothers have risen again to newness of life now and resurrection hope for the ages to come. And in just a moment, they're going to tell you with their own words and with their own actions about how God brings dead men to life. Are you ready for that? This is our hope. This changes everything. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's try that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you, and I thank you for what you have done. Today, we just, we turn our attention to the empty tomb, and we say, God, thank you that we have resurrection hope. There are people right now who are grieving loss. Lord, there are people right now who are missing their moms, their dads, their brothers, their sisters, their friends. But if we're in Christ, we look to this hope and we we're reminded that even though all the evidence screams to the contrary, there is still hope for us in Christ. Even when everything has gone wrong in the world and everything I placed my hope in, even when my marriage stinks and my job stinks and my kids are far and my health is bad, even still, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We have hope and it's been purchased for us by the blood of your son and it's been proved by the empty tomb. God, we have this hope. Let it spur us on to praise you. God, we confess that sometimes we withhold praise from you when our circumstances change. Forgive us. 
we're so quick to hold on to grudges and to grumble and complain and to be so sour and sad. But the hope that we have doesn't change when our circumstances change. So God, I pray that you would root us in resurrection hope. Lord, there are people in this room and we are they're followers of Jesus and yet they're living lives of misery because they haven't rooted their hope in this glorious news. So Lord, would you give us resurrection hope today, I pray. Lord, and then there are other people in this room who right now are separated from you because of their sin. And Lord, they recognize that they are not right with you. And perhaps right now it just seems too good to be true that if they simply put their trust in Jesus, if they repent and believe that they can be saved, it seems too good to be true. God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see it's true. It's true. In this moment, they can have life. They can have it to the full. In this moment, they can have forgiveness from sins. In this moment, they can have resurrection hope. In this moment, they can be engrafted into the family of God. They can be transformed from an enemy of God to, a, to an heir of Christ. That can all happen right now, and I pray in Jesus' name that it would. I pray that for those who have been opening the scriptures again and again and again and feeling their hearts burning within them, I pray that today would be the day that they would insist upon him. And Lord Jesus, that you would come to them in the way that you've planned and reveal yourself to them and open their eyes to see and open their minds to understand. God, I pray that you would work that miracle today. And I, and I just acknowledge that only you can do it. No sermon can do it. I can't do it. They can't do it. Only you can do it. So God, we just plead with you. Would that happen here in this place at Cornerstone up the road and Emmanuel and Simcoe side next door and across this city, would there be a great move of your spirit as dead bones rattle to life? God, would you make it so? We pray. You are, you are the God who brings life from the dead. Would you do it here? In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team, would you lead us?